0: We're going to turn tonight to Second Peter, chapter 3. I'd like to uh, bring a part 2 message uh, to one that I brought the last time I was here, entitled Things Hard to be Understood, Things Hard to be Understood. This is going to be part 2. And if you'll look with me at 2 Peter chapter 3, we'll begin reading at verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to the promise, his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing he look for such things, be diligent. That you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Let's stop reading there and look to the Lord in prayer. Father, help us tonight to understand the gravity of the subject that's before us It is serious beyond comprehension. And no one but God himself with the attributes of deity could do anything about it. It's that serious. And eternity is set before every one of us. And it's critical that we understand the message of salvation that you have provided for us in this thy word. So I pray that you would help us to understand the message tonight. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There is something about this subject that seems almost contradictory when you read other verses. Because here Peter is talking about what Paul wrote as being hard to be understood. But, for someone who reads carefully the scriptures, the apostle Paul, in second Corinthians chapter eleven, talked about the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And so, on the one hand, you've got somebody saying it's hard to be understood. And then the then Paul, who was given these mysteries hidden in the ages past and was no doubt one of the greatest teachers of bible doctrine that we find in the bible in new testament in the new testament age um, he says that it's simple he said he feared as a serpent beguiled eve through his subtlety so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in christ jesus And so the thing that I want to impress on us tonight is the thought that what Paul wrote was really not difficult to understand in terms of what he said. What made it hard to understand was not wanting to believe it was true. It's very important for you to understand that statement. The message of this book is simple. It really is. It's absolutely simple. Paul said it was. But the problem is we do not like the message because it conflicts with how we think. It conflicts with how we think. And why should we be surprised with that when we read Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, where the Lord said my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. If a person studies the Bible and does not understand that the theme throughout the entire Bible is the theme of conversion conversion. What is conversion? Well I can tell you this I've learned it right here in this church it's a radical change a radical change that has to take place. It must take place or you'll lose your soul forever. Now we're right here on the threshold of Jesus Christ, the Savior, the author of this book, coming back. You can say these kinds of things in a church setting to the point that you become immune to it. But I believe with all my soul We're the generation that's gonna see him. He's coming back. And I think the tragedy of tragedies would be that a person would come into a meeting in a church where the most serious thoughts a human being could ever think about could be heard and then rejected because it conflicts with what you would like the truth to be. Well, I'll tell you what. That is the key to understanding why the false profession of faith is an epidemic problem in the world today. It is so serious that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul described it, really, the conflict between man and God, or God and man, as being something like a conversion contest. In other words, our thoughts concerning what God had to say is so strong in us, we really want to read the scriptures in such a way that we change what we think he's saying into something that is more uh, easily understood by our way of thinking. And so we have what I call the conversion contest. That's just a phrase that I came up with because I believe it really describes the, the long war that Henry Morris speaks about in his book against God the long war against God the long war against God is the conversion contest is God going to convert us to think the way he does or are we going to convert him to think the way we do I'm telling you that the message of this book is horrible I have said this before and it's the truth it's the scariest book I've ever read in my life And when you think about what it is to lose your soul forever and not get saved, and when you read and study in the Bible that the vast majority of people who have ever lived are going to die and lose their soul forever and burn in hell forever. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus Christ taught. Now, that's a horrible message, and people do not want to believe it's true. But I'm not the one that said it. I read that in the book that God inspired and preserved, and it's the truth. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads into death and destruction, and many there be that go in there at. A huge number of people who go to church on a regular basis believe they're saved. And the Lord said, In that day they'll say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in thy name? We're talking about preachers. We're talking about people who go out here witnessing their particular version of how they understand this book. And it becomes an easy believism sort of message from the pulpit many times and in the testimony of professing Christians, but they're not saved. And the Lord said concerning those that preach in his name, who claim, I've preached in your name. I've cast out devils in your name, Lord. I've done many wonderful works in thy name. But his profession to them is depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. Folks, let me tell you something. If that doesn't scare a person into getting serious about the message of this book, I don't know what would. Several years ago, I came up with an illustration, and I'm not good at illustrating, but I came up with one that I think is pretty good, and I use it from time to time. In the military, and I'm not a military person, that's not my background. But I have what's called a MOS. I'm sure some of you military people would know what that is. It's military uh, <clears throat> uh, operations specialty, I think, is what it stands for. Military operations specialty. In other words, you go into training to specialize in certain things. Well, it just happens to be an MOS type. Uh, specialty called disarming bombs disarming bombs and I tell the young people in school when you're sitting in chapel and you're listening you need to listen as though that's what the class is about it's about disarming bombs you do not want to be careless in your listening when you go to a class on disarming bombs because in a few weeks you're going to be out there straddled one of them, and if you make the slightest mistake in any part of that operation of disarming that bomb, your life is over. Instantly, it's over. So what is the... <clears throat> Bomb, what you might say, that this passage and these passages that we're going to be looking at uh, <clears throat> consists of. What, what is the bomb? Well, I'm going to tell you what it is. And I think if you'll think about it with me and go home and study these thoughts and just think about it, you'll realize what it is it's the free will. The free will folks i can't think of anything that would be more dangerous as a as a, a soldier in the military who had the mos of disarming bombs i mean just to think about it gives me the shivers you got to know what you're doing when that's what your specialty is Well, the Lord would like for us to consider what the real bomb is that can destroy you and send you to hell forever. It's the freedom that you have to choose. There's nothing so scary as that. The reason people die lost without Christ is not because of the devil. It's not because of the fallen angels. It's not because of bad circumstances or lack of clarity in the word of God. It's not any of those things. We're going to take a look at what it really is. And it's the free will. And I'm going to show you that. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. I'm not going to go over... Um, the things hard to be understood that we talked about in Romans the other week. Those of you that would like to go and listen to it again sometime, maybe it, it was, you might find it to be helpful. But I wanted to show you some things out of Hebrews because this is Paul uh, writing his kinsmen according to the flesh. And, I, and I, as I study the book of Hebrews, I can just almost feel in Paul's words, his passion, and how desperately he wanted these people to understand what he would be writing about. Well, I think that some of the things that he says here, some would think is hard to understand, but Paul didn't think so. He spoke of it as the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus, and that's where we need we need to study until it's simple. You know, when you go to school as a young person, maybe in the first grade or whatever, you're scared to death because you, you don't know how to read, you don't know anything, and it's all so hard. It seems to be so hard, but when you come to the end of the nine months of study, You understand it because somebody has taught you how to understand it. And so when you understand something, it's it's simple. That's true of anything. When you understand anything, when you really truly understand it, then it becomes simple. That's why the Lord wants us to study the Scriptures so that we can see the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. So I want you to look at the sixth chapter of Hebrews with me. Hebrews chapter 6. And let's read at verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Now, what he's talking about here is that the Christian life is a growth process it's not something that's going to happen to you all of a sudden and you're going to understand that is the human experience when it comes to anything we have to learn we have to study and then when we study and we learn eventually we understand and then it becomes simple And Paul is talking here about leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. This is the simplicity aspect of it. The Apostle Paul talks about babes. Uh, John, the Apostle in 1 John, I think it is chapter 2, talks about uh, babes and then young men and then spiritual fathers. And so what he's describing is a growth process that the believer will experience as they study the Bible. Well, Paul is here saying, you don't want to stay a baby in your understanding. You want to grow, and you want to mature. And so he says, let us go on into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit. And then we begin to read something that is scary beyond imagination. For it is impossible... For those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. That, to me, is a passage that I have found myself pondering many, many times. One of the reasons is because Paul said to examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. He said, Know you not your own selves, Prove your own selves how that Christ Jesus is in you, except you be reprobates. We have a responsibility to question our relationship with God. There's some preachers that will tell you that, that doesn't, it's not necessary after you get saved because you're not to doubt the salvation that God has given you. That is not what the Bible teaches It is absolutely not what the Bible teaches. The smartest thing you will ever do is getting off in a corner with the Lord and trying to prove within yourself that you've got the real thing and you're not deceived. I think I mentioned this in the message the other week. Something Pastor Kelly said years ago that really got my attention. He said, There are many things you can be wrong about in life, but you don't want to be wrong about this one. Because you see, out before us is an eternity. Our focus right now is this little block of time which is the period of time that we're going to live on this earth. And it's so brief. It's so short. It's like a vapor. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. But what comes after you die is forever. Folks, is it wrong to view the message from heaven as being scary? I don't think so. I'll tell you what's scary is being in a a church setting bathed in religion, but lost, not really ever understanding the message of this book and the gravity of the message and actually the simplicity of the message. Folks, listen, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot convert our nature To being holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. Nobody can do that. So that we could stand in the presence of God in His sight that way. By His understanding of us. Nor can we raise ourselves from the dead, nor can we keep our spirit in our bodies. There is no discharge in that war. We're gonna die, and there's no doubt about it. We're gonna die, and the truth is, on the scale of eternity, it won't be that long off. It really won't, and so I'm telling you that the most important thing you could ever ponder is the honesty within your own inner being with God concerning the message from heaven, whether it's scary or not. He is the truth. He said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We are not. We know nothing yet as we ought to know, and if we spent our whole life learning, we would be ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Our total dependence is the message of this book. There's no other source that you can go to in the world to find truth but in this book from the one who is truth, and his name is Jesus Christ. And so here in this passage, I would like to suggest to you that the essence of Of the conflict right here has to do with the human will now let's read this together again and you'll see it verse 4 let's look at that for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened now I want you to think about that God is showing us the truth This is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Now think about it. God is doing that in this case. And have tasted the heavenly gift. Well, what is the heavenly gift? Well, the heavenly gift is the gift of everlasting life. It's a gift. It's not of works. It's the gift of God. And God will give it to a person. And so we go that far. And we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That's getting pretty close to the innermost part of God is his spirit. You can't get closer to anyone than the spirit of that person. And the way you become knowledgeable of the spirit of anyone including God is by hearing their words that's how you get close to people you have to hear what they have to say so revelation is important when it comes to our relationship to God but it's also important in our relationship with one another people sometimes will say to you you don't know me I will look at those, and I will say, "Well, you know, I don't know you either. What do we really know about anybody? The only thing that you know is what they're willing to tell you, what they're really the more they talk to you, the more you know, and that's revelation. so revelation is not just some um <clears throat> heavenly term confined to our relationship to God and his revelation revelation is something that we experience every day of our life in our relationship with one another but here's an individual that has been enlightened by God they've tasted of the heavenly gift that's pretty close tasted they've They've had it in their mouth. The Apostle Paul said, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is, bring Christ down. But what saith it? The word of faith which we preach is in thy mouth and in thine heart. That's pretty close. And I'll tell you why. God wants us to be saved. Desperately wants us to be saved because he loves us. And that's just the way he is. Verse 5, and have tasted the good word of God, verse 5, and the powers of the world to come. But then in verse 6, we see free will. The most dangerous thing in the world is the freedom that you have to either believe God or reject him. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Why would a person do that? Why would a person get this close to God and turn away? Why? Why? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you an example that's very personal with me. I I mentioned this in Sunday school the other week. When I was at East Carolina University, one of my majors was philosophy. And my manner was, I I was was scared the whole time I was down there because I was profoundly ignorant, just a simple uh, farm boy and... I never prepared to go to college, never took college preparatory courses or anything like that, so I was profoundly ignorant. And so I felt like it was in my interest to get as close to teachers as I possibly could in the hopes that maybe the relationship with me and them discovering a little bit more about me and me about them, it would cause a bond that would... Result in maybe having a more gracious and merciful experience as a college student. And so one of those teachers was a man by the name of Dr. Ray Lanfear. And I just loved that guy. He was he was there was his personality, his, his nature, as I experienced it, was very welcoming and I used to go over to his home and sit at his table and eat there, and he was so kind and so generous to me. And um, he started working on me uh, to encourage me to do something that was in his future plans, and that was to go to Missoula, Montana. He had always wanted to go to Montana and he had been offered a job out there in the philosophy department, and he eventually, the goal was to become the chair, uh, person of that department. And he tried to encourage me to go out there with him to work on a doctorate. And that's the truth. That's what he wanted me to do. And I was at a point in my life where I, I didn't really I was getting tired of going to school. And uh, so I ended up going a different direction and actually getting a master's degree in the area of counseling in the Department of Psychology. So that's the direction I went. But as I reflect back over my experience, I can see how Satan was after my soul. He was after me. And There was a number of things and I ain't got time to go into all of these things but its um, I feel like I need to tell you this. This man right here and my talking about this is not to be condescending in the slightest. It breaks my heart to think about what I'm fixing to say it breaks my heart to think about it but Dr. Lanfear told me he said Dwight he said there's something you do not know about me and this experience is so ingrained in my mind I can almost quote the experience and not be wrong He says, There's something about me you do not know. Now, this is revelation. I wouldn't have known unless he had revealed it to me with words. He said, I was uh, a Baptist minister for about six years. And he said, I would preach messages, and people would come down the aisle. They would respond to the messages, they would get saved. I would baptize them. And he said, I did this for six years. And he said, it finally got to a point I couldn't do it anymore. And I was sitting there as a young man brought up in the Southern Baptist denomination. And uh, I thought this was going to bond us even closer because he was revealing to me that his background was he was a Baptist preacher. And so I thought that was where it was going to go. But then all of a sudden he said, but I couldn't do it anymore. And he said, the reason is because I didn't believe it. I didn't believe what I was preaching. And so I was looking around on the Internet just this past week, and I have tried for, oh, good grief, 40-something years to try to find out a little bit about him because I lost track of him. I did send him a book. I witnessed to him after I had gotten saved. And he sent the book back to me with a short note saying, I am certain that I will not read the book. I am, As you know, I went down this road once before and found it to be very unsatisfactory. And so I'm returning the book. Ray Lanfear. And I got that book, and it it just broke my heart. It just broke my heart. And I was here as principal of Calvary Christian School at that time. And so I got to thinking to myself the other week that I would try one more time to see if I could find out anything about him because I would like to have tried to witness to him again. And I found on the Internet that he had passed away he passed away in 2015 at the age of 83. But here's what it says, and I ain't got time to read the whole thing. But it says this. Like Ray, Ray Lanphier, some students at Southwestern followed an older liberal tradition in the Baptist church, including Ray's classmate, Bill Moyer's, for several years after receiving his divinity group degree, Ray served as pastor of Baptist churches in Central Texas. But as he became increasingly disenchanted with the conservative and, in his opinion, narrow-minded direction of the Baptist church, he decided to leave the ministry and get a graduate degree in philosophy Following that, he became a professor of philosophy at East Carolina University, and I was one of his students. This whole paper is a rather fascinating sort of paper to read, but what gives me the shivers just thinking about it is what the Lord has enabled me to understand, and I believe I do. Hebrews chapter 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh And put him to an open shame. The issue, and this is what the Lord wants us to think about what would cause a person to turn away? I can tell you, I know. Because I had to face the same challenge coming along as I studied this book. God was so merciful and gracious. To me, to teach me that my thoughts were not his thoughts, and my ways were not his ways. He's very gracious. So patient, so patient. Only God could be as patient as God was with this man right here. Only God. And he allowed me to learn that this is a crossroads right here. It's a crossroads where you meet with God. And there's one thing that is major there. It's God's will and your will. And what are you going to do with your will in view of what he says? And I'm telling you that the basis for the preaching of another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel is a human being using their own free will to sit in judgment of God and say, you know, I don't think that's really what you mean. What you said, I think I understand what you said, but I don't like what you said. For instance, you say there's no one good. You say that everybody deserves to go to hell forever that we're monsters of iniquity. That's what you have to say. But I don't believe that about me. I believe that I'm a pretty good person. I try to do good things and I do not believe that your perspective of me, it may be true of certain individuals in the world, but it's not true of me. And so the case with Dr. Lanfear was he believes that the message of this book was too narrow, too narrow. And so with his free will, he decided to leave the ministry and become a philosophy professor. Paul wrote to Colossians and said, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit After the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And there I was, a philosophy student. A simple, impressionable, very ignorant farm boy. What did I know? Why do you go to college and pay people big bucks to sit at their feet and learn? Why? Because you, you assume they're the people that know the answers. They know the truth. They're not going to teach you a lie. And here I was sitting at the table of this man, and I didn't realize that Satan was after my soul, after my soul. I found out later, as a matter of fact, found out today, now, another person in that department, the chairman of the department, I'm not even going to mention his name, but I know it well, he summons me into his office because I had written a paper on metaphysics, which deals with origins. That's what the word metaphysics essentially means it's a study of origins. Well, there are only two sources of Directions that you can go when it comes to that issue. And that is origins uh, through biological evolutionism or origins because you believe Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created. So when it comes to metaphysics, it's one or the other. I wrote a paper because of the influence of my own parents and the upbringing, and another personality, a Baptist preacher that had a tremendously good influence on my life named Joe Cardoza. And Joe Cardoza spent time with me. He loved me. He brought me into his home as a 10-year-old boy and, and sat me at his table, and he taught me from God's Word. Passionate man, converted Catholic, Jose Cardoza. I'll never forget him as long as i live. And, um, well, anyway, um, I'm so thankful for those, those influences, but the devil was after my soul. He was after my soul, and I didn't realize that John Cozy, who was, I mentioned his name anyway, didn't I, was the chairman of the department. He summons me into his office because I had written a, a paper on metaphysics or origins. And my direction was that God created. And I got a message that I was supposed to go to the office. And so I went. And uh, he had that paper in his hand. And one of the teachers that I had written for had given it to him to read. And he, he read it. And he took it and he threw it down on his desk. And he said, "Uh, you planning on completing this degree in philosophy? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, I'm going to tell you this. He said, this paper is unacceptable. And he looked at me and he pointed his finger and he said, shape up or ship out. That's what he said to me. I found out by looking on the Internet to see if I could find out where he was nowadays. And I haven't gotten far enough to learn anything more than the fact that he was kicked out of the university because of some improprieties. And I'm not going to go into all of that. But here were two people you see, the Lord was going to put me eventually in a ministry for him. And Dr. Clinton Pruitt sent me down here to, East, to Southern Pines where I would in time meet Pastor Kelly. And he would talk me into quitting my job with the state and starting a Christian school and I've been here now, what, 51 years? Isn't that right, about 51 years? As principal of Calvary Christian School, teaching and studying every day this book, this precious book. And the joy of my soul is to stand here in a meeting like this, knowing that God said what you're hearing tonight, in his word, or I wouldn't know it. And, and when it came to what he had to say about me, it became very evident to me through self-examination. Like Paul said, examine yourself, see whether you be in faith. And I discovered that everything that he said about me was absolutely true. That from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, lasciviousness, all of these things. Mark chapter 7. I was confronted with the fact that God said, There's none good, no, not one, there's none righteous. There's none that seek after God, and I knew it was true. I did not seek after God. What did I seek after? I sought after myself and what I wanted. My own will was everything to me and what I wanted, and it's true of every human being I've ever known. All of us are exactly alike, all of us. And here in this passage... Paul is describing to us what causes a person to fall away and lose their soul forever. And it's as simple as it can be, it is not complicated. But a lot of people think that it's hard to be understood. No, it's not. It's very simple. It may be that you're sitting here in this church tonight. And you've got an idea of what life is all about for you. And you're on this journey. But the truth is, your whole life is about you and what you want. And every day when you get up, the first consideration is you. And your will. And what you want. And you're not willing to let anybody on earth... Or in heaven, get in the way of it. Because he's telling you that he's got something for you to do. Kind of like Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth from the womb, I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Well, Jeremiah didn't send the word back to heaven and say, Well, I I know that's what you want, but I'm thinking about uh, being a lawyer or I'm thinking about being a a carpenter or an electrician or, you know, um, hopefully not a school principal. (laughs) He didn't send that message back. First, let me tell you something. When I went to the public school, which is the only kind of school I ever went to, was a public school, there came a point where I was supposed to go see the school counselor. The first question that was asked me was, Son, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was not, have you ever thought about what God created you to be for his glory? It wasn't a question like that. Why? Because the whole educational system in this world is based around what will send you to hell forever. And that is thinking that life is about how you think and what you want. And your perception of yourself, well, I'll tell you what, that's a dangerous way of thinking. And you're sitting on top of a time bomb. And there's some things about it that you don't know. And that is how to disarm it. How to disarm the human will. How do you do that? The way you disarm it is God will teach you. You need to die to everything that you have ever known or thought that you knew. Paul said, we know nothing yet as we ought to know. And you can be ever learning and never get it right. And so if you're going to get it right, you're going to have to get your attention off of how you think, and you're going to have to start thinking about how I think and believing it and believing it. Folks, the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus that Paul spoke about in 2 Corinthians 11 the simplicity, was written by a genius whose name was Jesus Christ. He knows how to write in such a way that there's no way you will miss what he's saying. When he says there's none good, no, not one, what's hard about that to understand? What's hard about that? When he says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, what's difficult about that to understand? When he says, without me you can do nothing, what's difficult about that to understand? What is difficult to understand about salvation is of the Lord? It's not of us. What's difficult to understand about eternal security when it It has to do with the faith that he has in himself to do what he promised. Folks, salvation is top down salvation. It comes from God. It has to do with his faith that he has in himself to do what otherwise is impossible. It otherwise is impossible. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Folks, I've got at least an hour, two hours of message left. And uh, that's too long. I'm going to quit right here. And maybe we'll come back to a part three. I don't know because I really do believe if we could get a handle on the simplicity that is in Christ Jesus. And allow God himself to deliver us from the things that are hard to be understood. If we could just understand why it's hard to be understood, it's because we don't want it to be what we find out it is. We do not. We do not want to end up like this right here. We do not want to end up that way. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this uh, time that we've had to look into your word. Help us to understand your heart and the passion that you have toward every person. As we learned in our other study... You did not predestine some to go to hell and some to be saved. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. You predestined that everyone who would die to themselves and their free will and would understand that the only way you can have an expected end is to embrace your thoughts and your ways. And distance ourselves forever from our thoughts and our ways. Because it leads to death. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And this is a simple message from heaven. So I pray that you would help us to understand these things. Thank you so much for this church, for this church family. And the love that you've given us for one another and for our pastor, we thank you so much for him. And I just pray that you would encourage us to look toward heaven because you're coming soon. And we need to be right about this matter. Of all the things in the world, we need to be right about the essence of what salvation is. And we ask these saints in Jesus' name. Amen.